Major Lindsay in Africa presents Between the Legal Lines, a podcast focused on leading women lawyers who have pushed beyond the boundaries and found success. Welcome to Between the Legal Lines. I am your host, Andrea Bricka. This podcast is a series of monthly interviews where we explore how women, who happen to also be both executives and lawyers, navigate the boundaries often placed upon them due to their roles and their demographic. These women have found success despite those sometimes very narrowly drawn lines that govern what is acceptable and what is not. And each month we hear a new story from a different woman about what that is like. Joining me is Eliza Stoker, an executive director at Major Lindsay in Africa and the originator of this podcast. We are continuing our discussion from our last episode that centered around questions we have heard from women candidates that we have known over the years. We concluded the last episode talking about taking charge of your career, and it's not the days of old where the company would would take care of you. We continue the conversation around other workplace scenarios that have changed over the years and whether they have changed enough. Speaking of the 50s and 60s. (laughs) (laughs) Are we going Mad Men here? We're going Mad Men. Yeah, we're going to go Mad Men and talk about some of the office bonding that guys have traditionally done that we hear women executives talk about as kind of being left out of the loop if it's just internally or with clients. Um, today's day and age, I think a lot of it revolves around things like golf. I think in the olden days and which I think we both have to admit we were maybe part of those <laughs> days. Um, you know, people talked about taking clients to strip clubs and things like that, that women were not included in. I think that has gone away. I don't know if what your take on that is. I'm I mean, I live in Las Vegas, so maybe I'm being naive to think it's completely gone away, but I, at least in my professional career, I feel it's gone away. But there are other things that traditionally women didn't have an opportunity to participate in as much. It was much more of a man's thing, Um, golf being one of them. I'm a bit jealous of my women friends who are good at golf. One even went to college on a golf scholarship. I think it has helped their career in that regard. but we see these, this being raised, right? Um, had questions about, you know, I don't play golf, but my the executive team loves to play golf. And as women ascend to the GC role more and more, they're trying to be part of that team. And one time they even said that, you know, they went, they wanted to try it, but they felt kind of like the secretary of golf, keeping <laughs> score, driving the cart. Um, what what can women do and how do we educate the others that, you know, diversity inclusion includes some of the things like that, right? Things that traditionally people that are, that are disadvantaged didn't have the opportunity to do. Yeah. Golf is um, shockingly divisive to this day. And, and the strip clubs, I, I remember the strip clubs. I remember that being a thing. Like, I remember two separate companies I worked at where my male colleagues would kind of try to keep it a secret because they had purposely not invited any women colleagues on this quote unquote client outing. 
to go to a strip club. Um, and, and to me, that was so indefensible. There was no, I, I didn't even understand there being a discussion around that, right? I just, that was completely indefensible. Golf, I have many friends who will defend <laughs> the frequency with which the executive team goes golfing together, right? Um, I don't golf. I did not grow up learning to golf. No one in my family golfs. I never met someone who knew how to play golf until, I guess, college, right? Like it just wasn't, why I grew up in the Bronx, it was not part of my world. Um, and I think golf is so interesting because it can seem so harmless. It's not watching women take their clothes off, right? It's not that. It's a lovely outing with friends. And I know women who golf, I know men who golf. I know many more men who golf than women. Um, and I know I could go take lessons, right? That's the easy comeback. Like, just go take golf lessons. My husband's always telling me to take golf lessons. I keep telling me to go take golf lessons. But that's extra hours of work. It's extra money I'm going to pay. It's something I have to learn at 49 years old, apparently, um, because I grew up differently from the rest of an executive team, right? And I'm using myself as an example but I feel like this is a fairly universal truth. It, not everyone grows up with access to the same things. And to make that the way you gain access to decision makers is inherently unfair. It just is. And so when golf is presumed to be an attachment to a business trip, I, I think that's unfair. And I, I think it is, runs very counter to diversity and inclusion. I understand perceiving it as harmless, but it, it really isn't. I've driven the cart. I've been the secretary of golf. I love that, by the way. I have been the secretary of golf and had a fabulous time doing it, but I only did it like once, right? Um, I guess my advice is that horrible thing, take golf lessons, right? If, if it's going to make a difference in your career, that's probably the easier option than convincing everyone that there is an unfairness to attaching golf to work culture, right? And is it unfair to tell friends who like each other that just because they're on the same executive team, they can't go golfing together? Maybe that is a little unfair. But yeah, I, I come down pretty squarely on one side of it and yet have done nothing to solve the problem because I haven't given my, I haven't gone and gotten the golf lessons and I haven't said to my male colleagues, would you stop golfing? <laughs> it's like I haven't done either of those things. I think you got to choose one or the other, depending on your circumstance and your personality. You got to either be willing to say, I find this unfair or suck it up and spend the time and money on golf lessons. Is that horrible? That might be a horrible answer. Well, I, I took golf lessons multiple times in my life. I'm just not that good at it. And I, and to your point, the time, I mean, I remember, you know, growing up that my dad and my brother and they all went golfing and I had female cousins that went golfing too, again, in sales and did very well for themselves and became very good at it. But it always seemed like a huge chunk of time. And it, because my mom was back, you know, making dinner and doing the house and all those things that my dad had time to go play golf. And so I do see it in that regard sometimes, especially when you say the amount of time I, you know, how I can find four hours to go golf on a Saturday when I've got to take care of everything else that isn't taken care of during the week 
you know, I need a, I, I don't have a spouse and I need a spouse at home to do that. But I don't know many guys that are going to be like, oh yeah, you go golf. I'll clean the house. Like, it's just, we're not really there yet as a society, I don't think. So golf lessons, I think this probably needs to be even more addressed to women who are looking towards their careers, as opposed to people that are already in the general counsel seat. Because to your point, if you go take golf now at 49, you start taking lessons. Yeah, you'll have some sense. And if you play shotgun, it can be fun. But to go out there and play with people who've been playing since they were, you know, 15 years old, it's still not going to get you to the place where you want to be in that bonding, other than maybe them making fun of you. So (laughs) yeah, the making fun of part, I don't, I don't really cherish either. (laughs) Because I would be really bad at it. Like, it's interesting. It is interesting to hear that perspective. It's not that like some people have access to it. They just never develop the skill. And so it's not necessarily just about whether you had access. Um, It's, you know, I've seen the golf problem play out in some very unfortunate and hurtful ways, right? And everyone involved in the story is going to just hate me for telling this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway, because everyone's feelings were hurt. No one's going to like this. so like you all, the way management meetings work, right? You all fly to some city and you, and you get together for a meeting and you're probably there for a few days. And so when there's golfers attached to that, they're going to arrive in the morning, right? Before the first day and golf. And then everyone else who arrives throughout the day is like, huh, where is everybody? Are we eating dinner? Like, what's the plan? Everyone who's golfing together knows what the dinner plan is because they are the dinner plan. And everyone else is like, well, what's happening? Where is everybody? Right. And that's not something that happens on purpose. But it is, it's just like when there was a clique in high school that thought everybody knew something and they were the only ones who knew it. It's exactly the same scenario. And so anything we can do to prevent those kinds of divides from unnecessarily occurring on what's supposed to be a team, I I would think would be better for the health of the company. Yeah. Yeah, There is an awareness aspect to it, right? Because you're right. I I don't think most people do it out of, you know, evil intent. I think it's just the way things have been, the way we do things. And people need to think about that. I mean, there are companies that I've heard that, you know, don't, don't do golf outings because they've recognized it can ultimately be a diversity and inclusion issue. Um, So I think just raising awareness is part of it and figuring out how to be more inclusive. As I said, I've taken golf lessons. I'm okay for a few shots. And so I do like when there's a scramble, which means I can make really bad shots, but like somebody else is going to pick up for it and it can be fun. So people need to think about, those kind of ways if if they're going to do it i think and and i think women to your point you know take some lessons and then suggest that we want to you know let's do it this way so everybody can participate That's um, or more people can participate so and find other avenues there's you know there are other avenues i mean as we started with you know we've gotten away from all men's clubs or strip clubs and things like that so it is a gradual pro- progression and it's it's getting, I, I'd like to believe it's getting better and moving towards more inclusion. I, I think so. I think we're definitely, I've seen changes in my lifetime. That's for sure. Like just having to recall the strip club gate 
that happened more than once in my, in my career and, and just remembering that there is a before and an after. I don't know what the dividing line was, but that certainly wouldn't happen now. And it wouldn't have even happened 10 years ago, right? This was like 20 years ago, 30 yeah. years ago. Jesus, how old am I? <laughs> we don't have to discuss that further. We've discussed that already. Um, the, the other thing that I would like to discuss is the idea, and it's it's in a weird way in my mind related to golf, right? Like I said, we, there are a lot of women I know that are very good at golf and they've been very successful in their careers because of it. Um, and it's this idea that women who act like men are going to be successful. Sometimes they're going to get labeled as, dare I say the word bitch, because those are not the words that would be used for a male colleague who would be seen in a much more favorable light and favorable way if they behaved in the way that women feel they need to behave to advance. Um, that sometimes gets them those labels of being aggressive and things like that. Do you think there's a bit of a double standard, though, in that regard, in that sometimes women actually, we, I feel like we've been maybe not necessarily bashing on men, but talking about men and not such the best light in some of our conversation. But there's sometimes women that say, I have to behave this way to get ahead and use that a bit of a, as an excuse to act like a jerk and say, well, if a man act this way, they wouldn't be thought of the same way. And some of those behaviors would be no matter what your gender, no matter what your background. What do you think about that? Do you think that people, women sometimes use that as an excuse to behave in ways that we shouldn't be behaving in the workplace, no matter who you are? So I, I, I do think sometimes, yes. I, I think that's not an imagine. I, I don't think that's in your imagination. Um, so from my own personal experience, I have caught myself defending myself in that way. When someone has said to me, you know, you really did not have to react that way. Like you really could have been much gentler in your response to that. I have caught myself either out loud to them or in my own mind, kind of protecting my ego in the face of feedback by saying, you know what, if I were a man, you would not be questioning how forcefully I came down on this person for that. Right. But it is often, I, I do often reach the conclusion, you know, Eliza, you're just protecting your ego and trying to deny that that feedback is accurate. Because the real problem is we shouldn't be encouraging men to act like jerks. We shouldn't be encouraging women to act like jerks. We shouldn't be encouraging anybody to act like jerks. And yet for some reason in our culture, we have conflated success with jerkiness. And, and we have this mistaken belief that being something of a jerk is somehow good in the business world. We say things about powerful people like, well, they make the tough decisions and they do what it takes to get it done. What we're really saying is like, they, they are not afraid to be a jerk and they don't care what people think of them, right? Like they don't care if they're liked or not. And we value that to some degree. Maybe that's okay, but I do think all these issues are conflated. I do think that sometimes women will take the stance, no, I get to do this because I see men do this, but isn't the better stance 
no one should be doing this. <laughs> Isn't that the better thing? When the this is screaming at someone over a business issue or hurting someone's feelings unnecessarily or when someone asks you an innocent question and you respond impatiently. If that's the this, I shouldn't be justifying my my actions by saying men get away with it. I should be saying to men, don't do that. It's wrong. Yeah, that yeah, that's exactly where I was going with that question, right? Like when is it a double standard and when is it just an excuse? And it it, it can be a fine line, but I do think what you said is we need to examine how our workplace works in that regard. And, you know, a lot of that is culture and that is finding a workplace where the culture is for no one to be a jerk, not just, you know, certain people should be a jerk. It's no one. (laughs) No one (laughs) should be a jerk. And, And so we need to I think as women, we need to be very self-aware to what you said, the point of calling out others for that behavior and not justifying our behavior because that's the way others are behaving. Yeah. I mean, it is unfair. Like, yes, I accuse myself of just responding that way to protect my own ego from feedback. But there is an unfairness to the fact that I get that feedback because I do know that my male colleagues are not getting that feedback, even when they should be getting that feedback. That's the unfairness, right? Yeah. Is that I get the feedback and someone else may not. And some, and perhaps that's related to that notion that women are more approachable. Um, like the flight attendant who asks me to make a move rather than the exactly similarly situated man and literally said to me, oh, I just find women easier to approach about this stuff. Um, so I ended up less comfortable than that male passenger. Um, I, it is, you know, women, we, we are expected to be better and maybe that part's okay. Maybe we need to expect men to be better too. Okay. Well, anything else that you would like to add to this discussion as we come to the end of our time? Um, just that kind of circling back to where we started, right? Uh, that this is a good time for change. Uh, the market is hot. There's been a ton of introspection. So even if there weren't a labor shortage and more jobs than candidates, we would still be seeing a lot of movement because people are doing what I did saying like, Hey, I, I think it's time for me to try something new. Let's try something new. And so that's created a vacancy obviously in the role that I left. Um, so I'm, I just want to encourage everyone to take the risk, right? Make a change. It feels good. I will admit it just, it's exciting. It's a breath of fresh air. It keeps you on your toes. Um, and it's kind of, there's very few changes that I think are bad for your career, right? So just, I don't know, ride the moment, I would say, and pursue a dream, you know, do something that you think might make you slightly happier and go for it. 
Eliza, thank you so much. This has been Between the Legal Lines, where you have just heard from Eliza Stoker, Major Lindsay in Africa's Executive Director. I am Andrea Bricka from Major Lindsay in Africa. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for a new story for another woman successfully operating between the legal lines. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact me at abricka at mlaglobal.com. Thank you. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.